I'm glad to see everyone here, whether you're sitting here or you're out there online. We're just so thankful for you tuning in today and being a part of what we are doing here at Grace Church. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn in to the book of 1 Timothy. As you came in, there were sheets on the back of that table that are kind of like a listening guide. You can pick those up from week to week. If you forgot to, you can look it up on your electronic device because we have it on there as well under the app. You can find it there. So uh, that'll be a help to you. Well, we begun talking about this wonderful little book, and uh, we have been uh, just getting started, and there's a lot more that we're going to look at in the coming weeks, but today we come to the second part of chapter 1 there, verses 12 through 20, and it talks about the testimony of the Apostle Paul, his own personal testimony. Last time, spent a lot of time talking about how important uh, the very first thing that Paul talked to Timothy about, his protege, was doctrine. Let's get, the, let's get the truth and get it straight and let's lay it out before the people. And then this week, he talks about his testimony. Well, now, if we think about the Apostle Paul, he was Saul before he was Paul, and he was very religious, but he was lost. And I've got somebody who's going to tell you their story about being religious but lost. Eric Borseth, why don't you come up and share with us this morning? Good morning. My name is uh, Eric Borseth. I serve as a deacon here at Grace Church. <clears throat> you always got to be careful when uh, Pastor Phil gives you a call because sometimes uh, you ever have that experience where you get inflated and you feel really good and then he lets you down? Well, uh, Pastor Phil called and said, I want you to give your testimony. I want you to tell us how you're like Paul. All right, I could do that. Before he was converted. Oh, <laughs> not so good. Here, here's my testimony. I was uh, raised in Northeast Iowa. My family and I went to a small Catholic church there in town. And uh, I was a star pupil of the Catholic faith. I had all the answers in my confirmation class. I memorized all the prayers, and I served as an altar boy. I did everything you're supposed to do, right? At 13 years old, I was asked to teach the catechism class to the elementary students. To me, that was an affirmation of my holiness. After college and marriage and law school, I, we ended up joining a uh, Protestant denomination that my wife had attended uh, when she was raised. Well, we became very involved in the church. I taught Sunday school, taught the confirmation class, volunteered for all of their outreach activities. I was elected to the board of directors. I was even elected to the president of the board of directors. I was very close with the priest. I was the poster boy of salvation by works through the church. I was comfortable in my Christianity or churchianity, believing I was saved through my actions, my works of conformance with the law of God. I needed a jolt of biblical truth that I was lost. When I came to Christ, I didn't have a road to Damascus moment like Paul did. I didn't get struck down and blinded and have a confrontation with Jesus or led to the great believer Ananias who prayed over me and gave me my sight back. No, no such luck for me. I had Bob. Bob was a friend of mine and a former colleague whom I hadn't seen in many years. Unbeknownst to me, 
he was in an evangelism class at his church, and he was charged to witness to someone of salvation through Christ alone by faith alone. He chose me as his subject. So I sat down at lunch with him, and, and he says, if you died today, would you go to heaven? I said, well, I wasn't quite prepared for that. So uh, I said, well, I guess so. Uh, I'm basically good. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't uh, committed adultery. I haven't carved an engraved image and worshipped it as God. I was active in my church. Bob responds, no, that's not how it works. You are not saved through your works. You are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You can't be good enough. You can't be a good enough person to work your way into heaven. I said, oh, Bob, relax. This is kind of weird. <laughs> I wasn't saved by that experience with Bob, but I was on the road. It takes many touches sometimes to bring you to Christ, and Bob was one of them for me. Well, God pulled me out of that church as they had embraced a culture of openly allowing, or allowing openly gay uh, people in leadership in the church. I knew that wasn't right. I didn't know where in the Bible it said that because I'd never read it. I went to church. I didn't need to, right? So I went to conferences uh, that the resistance put on to fight it. I led the charge at our church to fight this decision. I proposed a resolution at the state convention in opposition to this sinful decision by the church. I was literally booed off the stage. That hurt. I received resistance uh, for my position in the church board meetings. That hurt. I proposed a resolution to our congregation, and I couldn't give it in a, get it on the ballot for a vote. That hurt even more. Then the priest turned on me and announced during a service that he could no longer support the position of resistance that he and I had uh, been advocating. That hurt even more and drove me out of the church. Well, God led us to Grace Church. The gospel of Jesus Christ is preached here. Amen? Amen. Don't underestimate how important that is to everyone who sits in a pew or listens to it online. I had never heard the word preached that way before. Pastor was preaching on uh, the book of Luke. He explained in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said that what matters is in your heart. You can just think of sin, and there you have sin. I said, what? Are you kidding? That can't be right. I was not saved by the law. I was broken by the law. When pastor preached on Luke 12, 20, or 13, 22 to 29, where Jesus teaches that there is a narrow road to heaven, and very few will find it, many will think they are saved but they will not be because they have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. How painful would it be to be thinking that you are on your way to heaven, but you are in fact headed to hell? It was then that I came to Christ. Shame came over me. I had an insatiable desire to know God through his word and prayer. I was first in line when Pastor told us, read the Bible in a year. 
and when we did it again the next year. I joined a small group, started going to Wednesday classes, went to mugs on Tuesdays. I couldn't get enough of the Word of God. I took in as much as I could. I thank Jesus who enabled me to believe. The grace of our Lord is clear in me as I was lost in my religious life, but have now come to faith in Jesus as the only way to salvation. Thank you. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother Eric. I appreciate that and telling his story. And we all, if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we all have a story. We call it our testimony. And so up on the screen, we're going to put the verse that is the subject matter of this first book of Timothy, these three pastoral epistles. We're only going to be talking about two of them, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, this first part of the year. And uh, there's the verse that we uh, put up there, and I'll let them put it up now. It's 1 Timothy 3.15 that declares the reason that Paul is writing to Timothy. So we have Paul the apostle who's writing to his follower, his protege, his learner, his disciple. And he writes this letter to him because he'd, he'd given him a task and he put him in a place and he told him that you need to stay put in Ephesus because there's some great needs there. And so here's what he said up on the screen. You just don't read out loud right now, but it says, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so that's what we're talking about right now. This is the church of the living God. Not just this one. I'm talking about the ones that gather around the truth of God's Word, whether here or in other places. We're one of them, but it is the place where it is the pillar and the ground of truth. And it is so very, very important for us to understand that. Last week, we talked about how doctrine matters. The source of the truth and the messengers of the truth were the very first order of business in this pastoral letter. He writes to him and he says, look, above everything else, we've got to make sure that we stop the mouths of the false teaching and we propagate the truth and teach the truth. Truth is the important thing. I can't help but think about it today, how many clever modes of communication we have, and there are just so many, from simple conversation to print media to radio to television, and then all kinds of streaming services that we can receive now anywhere, anytime, on these little small handheld devices, the amazing power of these things. We can get information, text, you name it, all the way up to, you know, studying how to bake a cake to whatever you want to study. It's on there. We can receive this information. And if the proponents of uh, artificial intelligence, if they get it the way they want it, eventually everybody, they're going to try to get you to put a SIM card in your head so you won't even need the device. They can just talk right straight to your brain. And that'll be, uh, I'm not taking one, just thought I'd tell you that. But that, that's, um, uh, that's something that they're really working on. So, but I want to tell you this. I want to tell you that the method or the manner in which a method or, or, or the message arrives is one thing, but if the message is not true, it doesn't matter how clever the message arrives. In a lot of our churches today, I'm afraid that the technology has taken over the importance, and it's how it is delivered and how cool it is when it is delivered instead of the truth of what is delivered. It has got to be the truth. We, according, we need to understand that the 
uh, that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. He is an angel in disguise. He is the father of all liars, and he's working overtime to destroy the truth. Uh, and folks, uh, I have something I've written here that I think would be good for you to write down and remember. It's not in your sheet, but it's an addition, and I wish you would. And that is this. As believers, we must love the truth. We must learn the truth. We must live the truth, and we need to proclaim the truth. Love the truth, learn the truth, live the truth, and be, proclaim the truth. Real simple. Say it with me. Love the truth, learn the truth, live the truth, proclaim the truth. You're not saying it with me. Say it again. Love the truth, learn the truth, live the truth, proclaim the truth. Now that ought to be the business of every believer. Love it, learn it, live it, proclaim it. Because truth is at a premium today. We are losing the truth. Isaiah 59, 14 says, justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth. Do not sell it. Don't put truth up for sale. Do not do it. Not to the culture, not to anything. Only hold on to the truth of the Word of God. I don't want to repeat that sermon about the truth, but we want to add to this truth sermon, this, the fact that doctrine matters. We want to talk about the fact that testimonies matter. The reality is that the truth is sometimes not believed by people, not because there's something wrong with the message, but because there's something wrong with the messenger. Now, I'm sad to report that many people have turned away from the faith and from the truth because the messenger's life contradicted the message that they were delivering. This has come home really, really heavy in my own life recently in our neighborhood uh, because as I've tried to share the faith, they said, I don't want any part of that because it was a, it was a religious person that molested me for four years when I was a child. Things like that. It's the person where you're supposed to be getting the truth and you're, uh, this is, it's, it's horrendous. So when the person who represents God and claims to be delivering his truth is living a lie, his message is canceled, whether it is true or whether it is not. So the testimony is very important. Testimonies matter. Would you stand to your feet? Got just a few little verses to read here. First Timothy chapter one, verse 12 to 20. The words are on the screen. We'll read it and stand as we do in honor of the word of God. And we'll read it so that we can read it and hear it and say it. It's a triple, triple emphasis. And so let's read that together beginning right now. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Read on. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which having some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Sorry, I got hung up on a word there. Would you bow your heads and let's go to the Lord in prayer. And our Father, we thank you so very much for the Word of God. Thank you that you've not left us clueless, but you have informed us. And now here we look at this passage of Scripture about from Paul the Apostle who writes to his son Timothy, who he had raised up in the faith and trained his protege, his mentee in the faith. And he writes to them and he tells them his own testimony. Oh, how powerful our testimony is. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, who before he was Paul, he was Saul. And as Saul, he was, he considered the worst of sinners. How encouraging it is to know that the worst of sinners has already been saved. And that anyone can be saved. Thank you so much for your word. Apply it to our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You could be seated. Now we have these two messengers, these two ministers. They're both called to deliver God's truth. They could not have been more different. They were completely different people. One's timid, melancholy, and retiring, and one is like a lion. And they were just completely different people. They couldn't have been more different, yet they could not have been more effective at that time, nor encouraging to us today. First, let's talk about Paul. And I want to look at him from sinner to saint or sinner to servant. Throughout history, there have been some amazing conversion stories. And I got to tell you, there are some amazing conversion stories right here in this room this morning of God's amazing grace. And I have got two guys that come to mind from history. Uh, one, though he was born in a family of believers with a devout mother who prayed constantly for his conversion, Augustine was a terrible sinner, a profligate and a wicked man. He wasted his life in many ways. He tried the world and all of its pleasures, philosophy and its rhetoric. He tried religion and its, res uh, its regulations, but like Solomon, it all seemed to be nothing but vanity. It wasn't until he heard the great Ambrose preach, and then he heard a little child as he, as he departed the place of preaching. He heard a little child with a little ditty, a little song-like thing that was saying as they were playing, saying, pick it up and read it pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it, that he felt impressed by God that that meant pick up the Bible and read it, pick up the Bible and read it. And so Augustine did pick up the Bible and he read it. And it was from the letter of Paul to the Romans that he read. And he read this passage, not in carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual excess and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy, rather put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. Oh, there's a key to holiness. We were talking about it a few weeks ago. Make no provision for the desires of the flesh. As Pastor Matt said, let's get radical and don't make provision to do wrong. Try to eliminate it. He was soon converted from his carousing ways, Augustine was, and later he reflected on the experience and he said this through all, all of his search for meaning in life. He wrote in this famous prayer, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest 
in you. Famous. He went on to become a powerful influence on spirituality and the doctrine and theology of the Christian church early on. Martin Luther, the person who affected Martin Luther most was Augustine. And of course, he went on to lead the movement that was called the Reformation, which had a lot to do with declaring that salvation is by grace through faith. I'll mention one other fellow, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this one. How many of you ever heard the name Billy Sunday? Does that make any, everybody ever heard that name? Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player with the Chicago White Sox. He was a baseball player, a famous drunk, and a carouser until he stumbled in in a drunken stupor to the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. And he heard the gospel, which arrested his soul, he said. And he got saved. He trusted Christ to be his Savior. He got up after that and gave his life to be a preacher and an evangelist. And he preached the gospel to anyone who would listen, anywhere he could get a crowd. And it seems to me that God sometimes seems to specialize in making miserable sinners into very effective messengers. And he did so with these and many, many others. Now, I want to talk to you about this passage. Those are examples, but this is the story of Saul who became Paul. And so, you've got a sheet. Write down a few things. And the first thing I'd like you to see is what Paul was. Verse 13 and 15, what he was. Everybody has a before and after in our conversion story. Everybody. There was who I used to be, and then there is who I am after I came to know Christ. That is in everybody's story. You say, well, I grew up in church. I went to church all the time. There wasn't a big change. Oh, but if it was like me, you trusted in yourself until such time you knew you were wasting your time and that was going to going to save you. And then you trusted Christ and humility came. It changed everything. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There is this before and after story. And there certainly was in the life of this person, Saul. And that's what he was called when we first meet him in the scripture. It was in Acts chapter 8. He agreed in that chapter to the stoning of the martyr Stephen. In fact, he was so much in agreement that they held the coats of the ones who were stoning him, and I could just hear him egging them on, throw them harder, hit him in the head. Then in chapter 9, he was threatening believers everywhere. Literally, the Bible says he was hailing men and women from faraway districts, dragging them in chains back to Jerusalem to put them on trial and to be punished or even killed for their allegiance to Jesus. This was a terrible man, Saul uh, of Tarsus. He was explosive in his verbal and physical abuse of people that believed in Jesus, and he was going to stamp it out. There are three words used in the passage to describe what kind of man Saul of Tarsus was before he got saved. Now, this is not me talking about him. This is Paul, after his conversion, talking about what he was. You see, he had a story and he told it. In fact, in the book of Acts, he told it over and over. Every time he got drawn before a king or a ruler or a governor, he told his story. Everybody's got a story. If you know Jesus, you have a story. How many of you know Jesus? Say amen. All right, then you have a story. Well, Paul had a story. And this is the story that he told. He says, first of all, I was a blasphemer. What does that mean? Well, blaspheme means to insult reproach, revile, or curse. Insult, reproach, revile, or curse. That is verbally. And this is what he was. He hurled curses and he reviled and he mocked 
Jesus and everything about him. He thought he was doing God's will and doing it. In Acts 26, 11, when he stood before Felix, I think it was, he said, I punished them often in every synagogue and I compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He's telling the story. He said, I compelled people to blaspheme. These followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, they were either going to blaspheme his name or I was going to carry him away and throw him to the lions. This is Paul. Blasphemy was one of the accusations against Jesus and Stephen. And Paul said he himself was a blasphemer. He admits it. With his words, he hurled unbelievable insults at Jesus. He was a persecutor. That's your second word. A persecutor. That is, he was determined to wipe out the name of Jesus from the face of the earth. So he set out to do whatever was necessary to eliminate these followers of Christ. He was, and this is the big word, we don't use it as much anymore, he was insolent. We get the word, the nominal case, insolence. If somebody is full of insolence, this is what it is. He had contempt of others, and he broke forth in cruel and outrageous acts. William Barclay said this of the word insolence and of the application in the, in the New Testament. Insolence indicates a kind of arrogant sadism. It describes someone who is out to inflict pain for the sheer joy of inflicting it. Not that the person who inflicts the hurt and the injury may gain anything by it. <clears throat> in addition to what he already possesses, but he simply wanted to find delight in his own cruelty and in the suffering of other people with whom he did not agree. This is Saul of Tarsus. This is what he was doing. He said of himself down in verse number 15, he said, I am the chief of all sinners. So he was considered himself the worst Sinners. And I think I have to show you something in that verse that's very important. You, you may just read over it and not know, notice it. It says in 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I was chief. Is that what it says? Nope. It says I am chief. How many of you were surprised to find out that after you trusted Jesus to be your Savior, you were still a sinner? How many of you found that out? I trusted Jesus. He saved my soul. But you know what? I still find myself sinning. I, mean, I better put up both hands. We're sinners. We're sinners and it's a, it's a battle. Oh, we don't delight in it. We hate it. We don't want to do it. But we get to the place where we think we never sin. Then 1 John chapter 1 says we're liars. The truth isn't in us. And we're kidding ourselves. Oh, sinners. He said, I am the chief. Now, this is interesting. It doesn't mean that Paul did a scientific study and literally compared his list of sins with those of every person on the planet. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is when he had his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he could only focus on how wicked and sinful he was. And folks, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, it's not time to compare ourselves with other people and try to find a wiggle room to get out and think, well, I may have sinned, but I'm not as bad as this one. And I'm not, a, I didn't do this and I didn't do that. No, 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 because we don't compare ourselves to other people, do we? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all transgressed. We're sinners. And the thing is, I don't compare myself to other people. That's not the standard. In order to be considered righteous, I have to compare myself to Jesus. 
And he did no sin, not in word, deed, action, or attitude. He was sinless. And so Paul said, when I, when I saw Jesus on the road to, to Damascus, he said, I was so guilty of my sin. Like Isaiah, I said it a few weeks ago. He said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I'm wicked. That's the only thing Paul could come up with, Saul, at that point. I'm the worst of sinners. And surely Saul was too far gone then. He, was, he must have been too wicked, too violent to be reached. There's that thought sometimes, you know, we just think, well, you know, there's, there's sinners and then there are sinners, you know. I mean, there's that person, you know, they, you know, they've done a few things wrong and they don't live up to the standard, you know, but they're, they're a good Joe. They do their thing and they pay their taxes and they love their family and, you know, surely God can save them because they hadn't done too much bad. But Paul, blasphemer, persecutor, insolent man, killing people in the name of God. He was killing people, a religious fanatic, if there ever was one. And he says, he's beyond the pale. He's beyond the reach. No, 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 where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I just want to say to you here this morning, (laughs) uh, there's not a person in the room that sends your way out of the deal. You have, there's no such thing. You you just don't know what I've done. God does. And for those sins he died, Jesus said. And so important, worst of sinners. Well, this is Paul's story. This is who Paul was. Now let's look at what God did. What did God do? I want you to notice here in verse number 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. He was full of gratitude. It was continual thanksgiving. And here's what he was thankful for. In verse number 13 and verse number 16, he said, God showed him mercy. He said, I didn't deserve this. I was, a, I, was an, a, I was a persecutor, a blasphemer. I afflicted people, hurt people. I caused pain for people. I took people's things. I destroyed their lives, their family, their children. I did all of these things, and I persecuted Jesus himself. And God had every reason to destroy me on the spot, but he showed me mercy. God withholding punishment. What is mercy? Mercy is God withholding punishment that is due for our sin, and he doesn't dish it out. You know, we should never plead for justice. I just want to get justice. No, not with God. You don't want to get justice. If you get justice, you're dead. You're condemned. You're doomed. I'm doomed. We're doomed. Mercy. God showed him mercy. He showed him mercy. He thought he was serving God with great zeal and loyalty. And he thought as a Pharisee what, that he personally was the paragon of righteousness because he's stamping out these Christians and he was in the depths of sin and rebellion, and he was religious but lost. He was religious but lost. I wonder today how many are religious. And you think you're just convinced that sitting on this pew in this church is counting up brownie points with God. I mean, you gave a little money. I'm gonna, there's a little box out there, and I'm going to put a 20 in there, and God's going to see. God, hey, hey, you saw that, right? Sit on the pew. Help an old lady across the street. God is just going to reward you. Well, there's another set of rewards for good deeds, but it has nothing to do with your salvation. You can never, ever work your way into God's favor. Nope. He was religious but lost. God poured out his grace, verse 14. God lavished grace on Paul. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. He just received it. Not only did God in his mercy not give Paul or Saul the punishment he deserved, but he also gave him the favor and blessing that he could never own. 
never earn, never acquire grace. Somebody said grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, freely given. He favors us. Notice these things that are so amazing here. God enlisted Paul for service. He enlisted him for service. Look at verse, verse number 12. It says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Putting me into the ministry. You say, well, what, what, what about it? Well, putting me into the ministry is the word. The word ministry is diakonia from which we get the word deacon. And in general terms, he put him into service. He just put him in service. He said, God showed me mercy, God extended grace, and he saved my soul. He turned around and he put me right in service. Now, I just want to pull over and say that God doesn't just save people and pick them up like he's picking roses in a basket and put them over here and just, oh, I'm just going to save you and hold you for eternity, and, and, and there's nothing more to it. No, no, no. He saves us, saves us to put us in service, and everyone has a place. God enlisted Paul for service. We covered it last time. God called Paul for his task of apostleship. I can't help but mention it. It's amazing to me that the persecutor became a preacher and the murderer became a missionary. He said, well, God can never use me if you just knew my story. God took the persecutor and made him a preacher. And he took the murderer and made him a missionary. Perhaps outside Jesus, the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth. Isn't it amazing what God can do with us? All right, how many of you, you're not the person you used to be? Just raise your hand. How many of you are everything you could be? Raise your hand. Ah, I don't even have my hand. No, no, no. We're not everything we could be. But the only way we're ever going to be real useful is give ourselves to God. Totally. <laughs> uh, he enlisted Paul for service and then he entrusted, look at verse number 11. I'm going to jump back a verse. According to the glorious gospel of, and bless, of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. <laughs> when I was about 11 years old, I saw a bicycle for sale in my neighborhood. I had a little old junk bicycle that was worn out. And I, the little old bicycle for sale, a 10-speed, boy, back in those days, an English 10-speed was the cat's meow. That was it. And it was for sale, and the chain was broke, and all that stuff. And I didn't know what in the world I was going <clears> to, <throat> you know, uh, what I was going to do. But I said, you know what? I, I, anything can be fixed. And so I gave that guy $2, hard-earned, grass-cutting money, $2.50. I gave that guy for that bicycle. I took it home and turned it upside down on the, we had a little front. Uh, we didn't have a porch, but we had a, a door that you entered, and a little flower bed, and a little walkway that went right in from over to the driveway, over to the door. Man, I turned it upside down. I did what my daddy did. I went and got the whole toolbox. I got his whole toolbox, craftsman. In those days, that's the only thing, the only thing you want, a craftsman, because if you break them, they'll fix them. And they'll give you another one. So, hey, craftsman, I brought that toolbox out and he had a little roller cart. And I set it up there and I'm working and I'm taking off sprockets and everything. And I'm, I never did fix this bicycle, by the way. Just want you to know that. <laughs> never got fixed. Lost that $2.50. Should have asked daddy. But anyway, I got those I, and I, I got it all out there. And all of a sudden, it's Memphis. And I mean, every once in a while in the summer, these big storms come up and it come a gully washer and in I ran. I didn't want to catch a cold, get sick. My mother be mad at me because I stayed out in the rain, got sick, and I left the tools in the rain. <sighs> that was not a pretty situation. Daddy wasn't happy. <laughs> Fast forward several years. I bought a 1974 F-100 pickup truck, three-speed on the column, slant six, with no radio, 
know anything. The windows are up and down like this. I mean, no air condition. I mean, it was stripped down. My first car paid cash for it, wrote a check. All the money I'd earned at the lumber yard, I paid. I had that thing, and I had been called to preach by this time. I'm going to go, and I'm going to be available to go preach the gospel even as a young preacher boy. And I was about 16, almost 17 years old. And I'm going to go to Tyronza, Arkansas, and I'm going to preach at that little First Baptist Church of Tyronza, Arkansas, because they invited me to come over there and preach because I was a preacher boy, and they found out about it at youth camp. So I'm getting ready to go over there, and I said, Daddy, I'm going to go preach. Okay. He said, before you go, his habit was anywhere he went, anytime he went, you get the tools because, I mean, he could find something wrong with a vehicle when there wasn't anything wrong with the vehicle. Pull over under a tree on a vacation and work on it, but that's just my dad. So you didn't go anywhere without the tools. So he goes into the, goes into the, into the garage, goes into the carport and then in the garage and he opens the door and he comes out and he's got his big tool set, same one that I messed up all those years ago and had to get oil and WD-40 and, you know, this drill. Anyway, he comes and throws it in the back of the truck and I said, Daddy... I said, what? I said, it's a brand new. He said, well, you never know what might happen. I said, well, Daddy, I don't want to, somebody might steal them or I might mess your tools up. He said, oh, no, I trust you. <laughs> what? I'm the guy that I trust you. Can I tell you a little story? <laughs> the apostle Paul, who was Saul before he was, was not disqualified because of who he was and what he'd done. He was qualified because of God's grace and God's enablement. And then Paul went out and did something because God trusted him. And I want to tell you something. A lot of people may never have any trust in you because you think you've done so many things wrong. And look at, you know, if I'd have been around and I'd have been, I'd have been like the ones at Jerusalem, you know, when, when, when they heard that the one who used to persecute the church is now preaching the gospel, Acts chapter 15, I would have said, <laughs> he's not coming to my church. That guy, he'll, he'll, he'll liable to be a wolf in sheep's clothing, going to come in and kill us all. Not God. You know who you know who who entrusts you with the life before you and the gospel of Jesus. You know who entrusts you with the most precious of everything. God trusts you. Wow. He entrusted Paul with the gospel. God knew Paul. He didn't just forgive him. He trusted him. There's no greater reward on the planet than trust. <laughs> God enabled Paul for this ministry that he enlisted him, he entrusted him, and he enabled him. Verse number 12, first part, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who enabled me. (laughs) Ah, this is beautiful. Even though Paul was very zealous and converted now, and he was commissioned, and he had a wonderful education at the feet of Gamaliel, spoke 11 languages, some people say. The power to do God's work wasn't in his commissioning, in his education, or in his zeal. The power to do the work of God comes from God. Away with pride, down with personal hubris, and celebrity ministry, can it be eliminated from Christianity? We don't need more celebrities, we need more humility, because it's God who does the work. Listen, Ephesians 3, 7, Paul said, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. First Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was within me. Second Corinthians 3, 5, our sufficiency, who's able to do this? Our sufficiency or ability is from God who also makes us sufficient 
sufficient as ministers of the new of the new covenant. God enables us, and there's people that just tremble. And I, I, I just don't think I could ever really say anything about Jesus to anybody. Oh, if you just start, you'd be amazed at what happens to you when you begin to tell somebody about Jesus. God enables you, brings to mind things that you would never think of. It is God who enabled Saul to become Paul. Finally, why did God do it? Why did he do it? Verse 15 and 16. Look at it, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That is stated five times in these pastoral epistles. This is the first one. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That is this way. The New Living says it this way. This is a faithful saying and worthy of, and this is a faithful saying and everybody should accept it. It's like when Jesus said, verily, verily, or truly, truly, which literally means amen, amen, it is so. And so God did what he did, 15 and 16, to save sinners. Look what it says. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. God did it to save sinners. Christ Jesus, don't miss this, Christ Jesus came into the world if you're not thinking, you'll miss it. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. He didn't have a beginning when he came. He always existed. He is eternal. He is the eternal God. He is the great I am. He's Jehovah. And that's who Jesus is. And he came into the world. He wasn't he was born in Bethlehem. He didn't begin in Bethlehem. But this is who it is. God has come. Why? He came to save sinners. <laughs> and I can say it this way, sinners need to be saved, don't they? And then I can say this with all confidence, only sinners can be saved. Only sinners can be saved. You say, well, I thought everybody is a sinner. Yeah, that's true, but not everybody sees it that way. Do you remember the Pharisee and the publican? Remember them? The Pharisee and the publican go to the temple and they're both going to pray. And the Pharisee says, and he looks over at the scrungy, scroungy publican, that traitor to his people. I'm so thankful, God, that I'm not like this guy over here. Why? I, I, I fast twice a week and I tithe everything I get. And, I, and God, you're really lucky to have me. But this guy and over here, the other publican who knows he's a sinner and confesses, bows his head and he beats his chest and he says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm a sinner. The one who said I'm a sinner got saved. The one who said I'm righteous didn't. Only sinners get saved. You say, well, I've just been terrible. Yeah, but God's grace is greater than your sin. Oh, but I've, I've gone so far, I can never be saved. Listen, there is no place so far that the arm of God's grace and mercy cannot reach you. Can I just say it to you? I want to say it to all of you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. This is the good news. The good news is that God loves you. God so loved you, so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only, one and only begotten son, the only one of his own identity. He sent him into the world to save us so that none should perish, but that we could have everlasting life. And God saves only sinners. Are you a sinner? Then God can save you. You say, well, I've already been saved. Praise the Lord. Then God can use you. He came to save sinners and only sinners. The law was given to condemn sinners. 
to show their need for a Savior. Jesus didn't come to do any more condemnation because the law did a good job. John 3, 17, I didn't come to condemn but to save sinners. Paul said that he was the chief when the Holy Spirit showed up to me. We've been hearing testimonies now. How about a quick testimony for little Philip Winfield? I was a little 12-year-old Sunday school boy, proud of his perfect attendance at church and all the awards that I was winning for Bible memory and for having my Sunday school lesson and my training union lesson always done. And I just thought I was just really doing well and that God was so proud of me until somebody came and preached, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that was me, boast. You know, what was the terrible sins? Well, you know, I... I couldn't point to the heinous things that I had done. No, no, no. But oh, in my mind, I was working my way to God. God was really proud of me because I was a good little boy. And I humbled myself and told my daddy I needed to be saved. And he said, okay, let's go to the parlor. And we did. And he shared John three sixteen, And he shared it carefully and slowly. And I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Were you as lost as Paul? Absolutely. See, the Apostle Paul was no more lost than I was. And anybody in this room, if we, we see Paul and all the heinous things he did and all that, but, you know, but it's, not, it's not sins that we can name. It's the fact that we were born in sin and then it shows up and the fruit comes forth. We are born in sin. We practice sin. We prefer sin. And when we come to grips with the fact that Jesus died for sinners, then we can be saved. God did this to be an example. He did it to save sinners and he did it to be an example. He wanted to exemplify his great patience and his long suffering. We talked about that. He wanted it to be a pattern. What pattern? Paul said that now in verse number 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering or patience as a pattern to those who were going to believe on him for everlasting life. What pattern? Well, if one such as Paul could be saved, then no one is beyond the long arm of mercy and grace. What must be done? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Bring your sin, bring your fears, bring your failures, bring your religiosity and religious efforts and confess, believe on Jesus for eternal life. God is calling you. Are you thinking I'm too wicked? Not so, because where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. You say, well, I'm already religious. Forget about it. You can never work your way into God's good favor. There's no work to be done because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He finished the work that had to be done when he died for your sins. Believe on Jesus. You said, well, you're all stirred up this morning. Yes, because no matter how many times I preach and no matter how many times I say it, I'm so fearful. I'm so, I'm so concerned because I have to give an account for your souls. I, I'm so concerned that even yet there are people who sit and listen from week to week that think, well, you know, I just always believed in you. I grew up in church, you know. I always believed in you. Well, sure, Jesus, he was a part of our life from very young. And I, I just always believed in Jesus. But there's never been a before and after. There's never been I was in the darkness, but now I'm in the light. There was never I was lost, but now I'm saved. There was never I was in sin, but now I've received forgiveness. There's never been a before and there's never been an after. There's never been a testimony. What's your testimony? I have more to say, but I'm going to stop the sermon because I feel the Holy Spirit wants me to stop right here. 
What is your testimony? Do you have a testimony? Do you? Well, the apostle, you say, well, I, I just don't think God could save me, Paul. Yep, yeah, well, well, I've always gone to church. For by grace, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I got more to say, but I think I need to stop. And I want to ask you, do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony? You say, but, oh, well, sure I do. I can tell my story. Yeah, but does your story match up with the Word of God? Does your story match up with all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Does your story match up that the wages of sin is death? And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does your story match up with, I was lost, but God proved his love toward me. And that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Does your story match up with, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, male and female. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm asking you, have you been born into the family of God? Have you been adopted into the family of God? Have you trusted Jesus? I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you if you're a good person because there's no such thing. I'm asking you, have you trusted Jesus? Do you have a story? Do you have a testimony? Can you? If I were to sit down with you on this bench and made you sit right there and I said, tell me, when did you come out of the darkness into the light? What would you say? Would you bow your heads? And close your eyes. Are you a believer in Jesus? Brother Eric used a word a little earlier. This one that I've used for years and he picked up on it. It's the word, are you involved in churchianity instead of true Christianity? Have you believed on Jesus? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, I, I pray for your application of the sermon. I pray that you would draw people to yourself. There's not a message I could talk about this morning more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he came and that he died for a reason. He died because we're sinners and because he loved us. And because he died in our place to take our punishment and to relieve us of our debt so that we could be free in Christ not go to a devil's hell, but go to heaven and be useful here on earth. Lord, please, Lord, please draw people to yourself this morning.